Today's podcast brought to you by Jolt. Make progress. Not excuses. Dream big. Get massive results. We have a good example in John Jacob Astor, the elder. They say that he had a mortgage on a millinery store, and he had to foreclose the mortgage and go into business with the same people who had failed on his hands. After he entered the partnership, he went out and sat on a bench in the park. What was the successful merchant doing out there, in partnership with people who had just failed on his hands? He was out there watching the ladies as they went by. As he sat there, he watched... And if a lady passed by with her shoulders thrown back and her head up, and looking as though she didn't care if all the world did gaze on her, then John Jacob Astor studied the bonnet she wore. And before that bonnet was out of sight, he knew the shape of the frame and the curl of the lace and crimp of the feathers and some of the intricate things that go into a bonnet. Then he went into his millinery store and said, Now make up and put in the show window just such a bonnet as I described to you. I have just seen what that bonnet looks like on a lady's head. Then he went out and sat down again. Another lady of a different type and complexion came, and she wore another style of bonnet. He went back and described that bonnet and had one put into the window as well. He didn't fill his show windows full of bonnets and then sit down and complain because people passed by and went elsewhere to trade. He didn't have a hat or a bonnet that some lady didn't like. That firm has been the wealthiest millinery firm on the face of the earth. Out of that business, more than $17 million have been taken, yet not a dollar of capital was ever put into that business, except what they turned in from their profits to use as capital. John Jacob Astor made that millinery firm wealthy, not by lending them money, but by finding out what the ladies liked for bonnets. There was a man in Hingham, Massachusetts, who was a carpenter and out of work. He sat around the home until his wife got sick of seeing him and told him to go out of doors, and he did. He went out and sat down on the stoop, and he whittled out of an oak shingle a wooden chain. His children that evening quarreled over it, so he whittled another to keep peace in the family. While he was whittling the second toy, a neighbor came in and said to him, Why don't you whittle toys on a big scale and sell them? You can make money. Oh, no, the fellow said. I could not whittle toys, and if I could, I wouldn't know what to make. He said he would not know what to make. His neighbors said to him, with good New England common sense, Why don't you ask your own children what to make? He started out and whittled out of firewood those Hingham toys, the wooden shovels, the wooden buckets, and such things, and when his children were especially pleased, he then made copies to sell. He started with little capital and secured a foot lathe, and then secured a room, then hired a factory, and then hired power, and so he went on. The last law case I ever tried in my life was in the United States courtroom at Boston, and this very Hingham man who had whittled those toys stood upon the stand. He was the last man I ever cross-examined. Then I left the law and went into the ministry, left practicing entirely and went to preaching exclusively. But I said to this man, as he stood upon the stand, When did you begin to whittle those toys? He said, 1870. Said I, In these last seven years, how much have those toys been worth? He answered, $78,000.
$78,000 in only seven years, and beginning with nothing but a jackknife and a few hundred dollars of debt that he owed people, and he was now worth at least $100,000. His fortune was made by consulting his own children in his own house and deciding that other people's children would like the same thing. You can do the very same thing, if you will. You don't need to go out of your house to find where the diamonds are. You don't need to go out of your own room. Sit there in the quiet or in bed, lie there, with an open mind to sense things, a soul open to inspiration. There are things for you to do. There are acres of diamonds for you, closer than you dream of. But your wealth is too near. I was speaking in New Britain, Connecticut on this very subject. There sat five or six rows from me a lady. I noticed the lady at the time from her wealth of white hair. I said to them what I say to you now. Your wealth is too near to you. You are looking right over it. She went home after the lecture and tried to take off her collar. The button stuck in the buttonhole. She twisted and tugged and pulled and finally broke it out of the buttonhole and threw it away. She said, I wonder why they don't make decent collar buttons. Her husband said to her, After what Conwell said tonight, why don't you get up a collar button yourself? Didn't he say that if you need anything, other people need it? So if you need a collar button, there are millions of people needing it. Get up a collar button and get rich.